Hello and welcome to Grace Life Stellenbosch. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. So we're looking at um, a series called Overcoming and um, this might be the last chapter in our series on a, basically an overview quickly of the book of John, but more so the miracles in the book of John. And in John 20, uh, the second last chapter, he writes to us in verse 13, he says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life through his name. So he says there's many, 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 many miracles that Jesus did, if you read uh, chapter 21. <coughs> but he says now, the ones I wrote are specific. The ones I wrote down are specific miracles for a specific purpose. And I didn't write down how to heal the blind or where the blind was healed for you to heal the blind. I wrote down how Jesus healed the blind man because that is that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and that believing that you might have life through His name. So a lot of people take the miracles, and they want to make recipes for healing. I mean, and that's interesting, but it means then there's many recipes in the Bible to come to the same conclusion. Because Jesus seldom, if never, healed in the same way. So we go to a healing conference, we can't just teach on how to get healed, we need to teach on why. Okay? Simon Sinek is not even a believer, and he says, starts with why. Amen. We need to start with why. Why can we be healed? Amen. Because Jesus has given us his, the power. That's why we get healed. Then it's the how. The how is to speak. Like lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Go out and the signs and miracles follow them that believe. And the Passion says Jesus went on to do many more miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not even included in this book. So John had a specific purpose and the purpose wasn't to write down everything Jesus did. I'm saying that again. <coughs> Excuse me. But John notes that he recorded these miracles. Verse 31. That all that is recorded here is so that you will fully believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the Son of God. And that through your faith in Him, you will experience eternal life by power in His name. So we've looked at this now for, for this is week four. Um, and I'm not sure that we could go through all seven. We might. But uh, I've learned not to commit. <laughs> Because a lot can happen from now till next week and the Holy Spirit is working. I don't want to limit him. But we look at John 11 this morning and we want to look at basically, I say this is the second last miracle in the book of John. Because the last miracle is the resurrection of Christ. Okay, that's the number gray, uh, eight if you count. Depends on how you count and what you count as a miracle. But there are a movement of um, articles, we can say, that speaks of the seven miracles in the book of John. Now, we pick seven because it's a nice godly number. It speaks of completeness and all of that. Jesus disappearing in a crowd, that's probably a miracle. Amen. Um, whether that will get you born again, I'm not sure yet. Like we're still studying that out still. <laughs> but he says there that the things that he wrote, let's pick seven, okay, just for, um, just to be holy. Amen. <laughs> because we are. First one, turning water into wine, healing the nobleman's son, healing the man at the pool of Bethesda, feeding the 5,000 men, walking on water, healing a man born blind, and resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. Okay, that's seven miracles in the book of John. 
that we know, now know is there to get us saved. <laughs> and if you're already saved, well done. Now I'm equipping you. Okay? So part of my job is to equip you. If you're a believer, you came to be equipped, not to be entertained. Amen? Not to spectate, but to participate. Okay, that's another sickness in the church. We have, just by the way we set up, we're still figuring out how we can do it different. Amen? But we want you to come full. We want you to come participate. We want you to come and bring something, not just come receive something. If you need something, come. Like, if you need healing, come. This is the best place to, to come. Um, if you need prayer, come. If you need um, ministry, if you need counseling, come. Like, we're here to, to be family. And in worship, it reminds me just now, I saw this picture of, you know, when a, when a child falls and he has a scab, or he or she, a scab on his knee or, she, or her knee. And for them, it's the end of the world. Like, it's the, 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 the crocodile pranas. Groot, this duck, nah. And all the parent wants to do is just calm them down and clean the wood. Okay? So you, you have this picture. I remember my mom like taking the, um, the cotton wool and then making lukewarm water, calming it down, putting it on her lap, and then just like cleaning the wound. And I just felt like God wants to do a work like that in our hearts this morning. Like for us, it's a big thing, but for God, it's just like it's, it's only big because it's you. It's like, it's not big that it scares him. It's not big that, like, you know that child is going to be okay. They don't believe it. <laughs> for them, it's the end of the world. They just, like, they, have, they see blood. Like, I remember when Jordan saw blood for the first time. It was like, what? <laughs> and then you put a plaster on, you remind them of it. So that, like, we've learned to not do that too, too often. Um, but the picture God has for us is, like, what you, from our perspective, what we might be struggling with might be big. But from his perspective... It's more about just convincing you that it's going to be okay because it's really going to be okay. But then also just nurturing you in that and cleaning the wound and cleaning whatever the word says, the washing of water of the word. I was privileged to do a wedding in Tilbach last night. And just again, just the beauty of Ephesians 5 that says that he wants to present to himself a bride without blemish, spot, wrinkle, holy, set apart, innocent before him. I mean, that's amazing. So it's such a privilege for me to, to do a wedding because I know I'm going to preach the gospel. Amen. If I do your funeral, I'm going to preach the gospel. Amen. If I do your wedding, I've got one clause. I'm going to preach the gospel. Amen. Because I'm not going to go all the way to Tilbach and not preach the gospel. Amen. But when we preach the gospel, we bring the word in such clarity that people say, hey, but this is a different God. This is God that I'm not used to. Because when you go to a wedding, you preach to people who's not always in church. Some of them might never be or never go to church or they've given up on God a long time ago. And you know what I tell them? I also don't believe in the God you don't believe in. Because I don't believe in an angry God. I don't believe in a God who's far. I don't believe in one who, who punishes and one who strikes you. Because like, I mean, if he was striking me, if he was a God who's striking you with lightning, then why am I still here? I mean, because I deserve the strikes. <laughs> like I did more, 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 more in my BC days. Um, but we still do. Like, so it cannot be God. So when you come to a conclusion like that, it really speaks to people's hearts. And you know what? I've thought this a while ago, and then I was reminded when someone contacted me, said, I listened to this online. All our teachings are online, by the way, so if you want to listen to them or share them. About what really is the definition of a sinner? Okay, what is the definition of a sinner? And I can really see how it's going to fit into what we're going to look with Lazarus. So the definition of a sinner, the word in Greek is hamartia. And hamartia is what we know as missing the mark. Okay? And missing the mark, as uh, we've been taught, means to see these, like if you think, if you see a dartboard, 
with a bullseye. And you think you're being, you, your, your performance is missing the mark. Or, like, I've told you my long jump story, so I'm not going to tell you that again when I didn't jump but fell. And I almost didn't reach the pit. Only the top half of me were in the sand. If you haven't heard it, you need to go find it online. <laughs> but high jump for me is worse. Like, I thought I could maybe just do long jump just for fun. But I, I knew I couldn't do high jump. Like, this body... I was made to scrum, okay, not to jump. <laughs> Even last night, I couldn't close my top uh, button because, um, and that's been years, but I've like, too much scrummaging. Too much info, I know. <laughs> I have a point. So if you think, you might want high sport to do. You know, like that's when everyone needs to do athletics and then they see who's going to be in the team. Yeah, yeah, so when you have the blue team and the red team and it's like, We've got spirit, yes we do, that type of thing. <laughs> and then what they do is they put the high jump mats out, and I'm like, why not more? Like, how are we sure that you're gonna be there? Like, how do we know? I'm not convinced. <laughs> and then say they put it at a meter, now a meter is about there. I'm nervous already, like. <laughs> and then if you can't reach the mark, if you, if you hit the bar, then you're out. Okay, and then the ones who do go sit on that side. So it's your scalp and your bulker, man. That's like what it's going to be at the end of time. And if you're missing the mark, then you're out. And that's what we, we think about sinner. That's what we think when we're here missing the mark. Okay? Well, that's what I thought. But if we read the word completely there, it, 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 the Greek is very deep and it speaks about you're missing something. Not you're missing a target, but you're missing the mark. So I'm so, I should have worn a, a trademark. <coughs> Say you've got the, most guys would know the old car key or the K-Way. Let's say K-Way. I see Gary's wearing K-Way and Henry's wearing K-Way. So that's the, so if you don't have the K-Way on your jacket, it's just not the same jacket. Come on. Huh? <laughs> you've got the pick and pay one like I do. It's like, you're missing the mark. <laughs> you're missing the mark. Okay. Now, that is much closer to what that hamartia word means. It means you're missing the life-giving crucial part. Not you're missing something in performance. You're not jumping high enough, not shooting straight enough, not being good enough. You are missing something. You are missing, and the word really speaks about a life-giving crucial part. You're missing something of essence. You are missing the signature of Jesus. You are missing the life of the Spirit, and you are therefore incomplete. Now the word, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Anyone has heard that verse? I think it's in Ephesians. That word sealed is the same word for Mark. So what we hear is, we hear sealed, oh, thank you, Lord, no demon will come near me. Thank you, Jock, I appreciate your love. But that's true. But what it means is, you have now been marked. You've been sealed. And what is the seal? The seal is the Holy Spirit that was promised. So you have been missing a life-giving crucial part. Now you have received what you were missing, which is the Spirit of God, which is life eternal. Because Romans says it very clearly. Romans says that while we were yet sinners, Hamartias, Christ died for the ungodly. What does ungodly mean? People who, um, people who behave bad. We think it does, but that's not what the word means. People who are without God people who's missing the life-giving crucial part. 
So while you were yet missing the life-living crucial part, Christ died for you so that you can now find what you were looking for, find what you were missing out on. Now I'm asking you, if you go and evangelize with us, which we're going to do soon, we're going to do part of the project, and we're going to go out on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday afternoon, next week, I think. We'll make sure that you get the details. It's been a busy week. <laughs> and we're going to go out on the streets, and we're going to go speak to people. We would say amen if I say we are carriers of the good news. Amen? amen. I mean, we are grace life. Come on. <laughs> we are grace life. We are bringers of the gospel, the good news. And you go tell people, listen, man, I'm looking at you. Do you know Jesus? They say, no. He said, but you need to stop sinning. You really, you, you, you're going to hell if you don't stop sinning. Like you, where were you last night? I'll speak to this person. Where were you last night? Because they're obviously not here today. How many beers did you have last night? Why are you late? You need to be on time. Because God really wants to be impressed with you. Now, don't worry, your sins are forgiven and that's what I'm here to give you. Where does it put that person? Is that good news? In the essence of evangelism, is it good news if I tell you you're a sinner and you need to change? That's not good news. It's true. But if I come to you and I say, listen man, do you know Jesus? And they say, no. I say, oh, shame. Man, it must be terrible. Do you know what you're missing out on? Like, you don't even have what I've got. What is it that you've got? Man, I've got forgiveness. I've been sealed. I've got the Spirit of God. I'm going to live forever. I don't know how you do life without that, man. You know what I actually do because I remember vaguely that I used to be like that, but I never again want to be like that because I've received what I was looking for. And with that came forgiveness. With that, I've been washed and blemished. Every blemish, every past, every sad, bad thing has been removed from me. I'm completely new. I'm one with the Spirit of God. I'm going to live forever. And guess what? It's not about me. And oh yeah, by the way, I'm not struggling with the temptations like I used to. I'm not struggling with addictions like I used to. I've stopped sinning effortlessly just because I've been focusing on what I've got, which you don't. Do you want it? Where can I sign up? What is good news? Would you agree with me that just maybe we've been bad at evangelism? Well, let's not use bad. I mean, that's a bad word. <laughs> maybe we can be a little better in the essence of the gospel because I don't know about you but the last time I read it said it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance it's the goodness of God that says while you were yet a sinner when you didn't deserve anything I died for you I sent my son for you why? because you deserve to know because I love you at the wedding I was live, I could say to the people listen love is not what God does love is who he is because if love is what God does, it is. But the essence of who He is is love, so it means He can never not love. So when we go to people with the love of God in our hearts, do we want to just take them into heaven? Or do we want to get them to live eternal life right now in the presence of the Father? Amen. What is your mindset when we bring it to this? So Jesus gets a message from His dear friends, Mary and Martha. And they say, listen, the one you love is sick. It's beautiful. Not the sickness, the one you love. Speaks about love. Speaks about who God is. They, they realized the essence of what Jesus was about. 
I don't think it's manipulation, but maybe let's just call it influence. <laughs> Not Lazarus, listen, the one you love. Okay? He is the one who's sick. Now Jesus tarries a bit, and he gets caught up in, in other things, and he does a few things on the way. And he comes to the town of Bethany. And in John 11 verse 3, it says, Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, The Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be gloried thereby. Now what he does not say, is he didn't say God caused the sickness. I've heard sermons like that, but that's not what Jesus said. Amen? Because any parent here would never wish sickness on any of their children. Because why? Love. Verse 5 says, Now even though Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, He remained where He was for two more days. Remember, sickness shows up, and Jesus says, I'm going to preach the gospel. That's what He's doing. So on the third day, after two days, what comes after two? Thank you, Zangli. Three. Well done. That's a deep revelation. On the third day, isn't that like, you know, I've got this gospel radar. If you pick up a ring, by the way, we still haven't found Lucas's ring. <laughs> and we want to get in one of those, uh, those guys that walk on the beach. So if you have one of those, you can bring that too. <coughs> Shame, he's got a, his son was born and his dad wasn't wearing his wedding ring. So it must be terrible. Finally, on the third day, he said to his disciples, come, it's time to go to Bethany. Verse 8, but teacher, they said to him, do you really want to go back there? It was just a short time ago the people of Judea were going to stone you. So Jesus was contemplating going back to a place where they just wanted to kill him, but his friend Lazarus was there. Now, maybe you'd have taken more than two days to contemplate going back and laying down your life for a friend, because this is exactly what Jesus did. He went back to a place where they wanted him dead. Verse 11, Jesus added, Lazarus, our friend, has fallen asleep. It's time that I go and awaken him. Now, the disciples don't get it. But that's detail that we're not getting into today. Verse 15, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because now you have another opportunity to see who I am so that you will learn to trust in me. So I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead so that you can see not someone raised from the dead. No, so you can see who I am. He's preaching the gospel again. He's wanting them to believe. He's wanting them not just to be alive, but to have eternal life. Now he says, let's go and see him. Verse 20. And when Martha heard that Jesus was approaching the village, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Now the picture there, if you read it, is she went out of the village. See, Jesus just went out of the house. Jesus was still outside. That's where she met with him. Verse 25, Martha, Jesus said, You don't have to wait until then. I am the resurrection, and I am life eternal. Anyone who... Thank you. <laughs> Selah. No? That's what David said when he didn't know what to say. <laughs> He says, I am the resurrection and I am life eternal. Anyone who clings to me is in faith, 
even though he dies, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So he's convincing them that he's going to do more than just raising Lazarus from the dead. He says, I'm going to awaken him from his sleep because true death is eternal. And that's still coming. Lazarus cannot be resurrected unto eternity yet because Christ has not yet died. Verse 29, so when Mary heard this, she quickly went off to find him. For Jesus was lingering outside the village at the same spot where Martha met him. Verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Okay, we said last week that we can be real. Like emotions is not evil. Don't be run by your emotions. Don't let your emotions reign over you, but like acknowledge them. They're often showing you what's wrong in your heart. <laughs> or they're showing you that you need healing or that you just need time with Jesus. So, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. And in the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. Did Jesus know what he was going to do? He did. Was he out of faith and was worried? No, that's not the tears that he had. It was tears of compassion. He saw everyone weeping. He saw the sadness of the family and the ones with them. And he missed, obviously, his friend and he wept. Verse 36 he said to the Jews, behold how, the Jews said, behold how he loved him. It's beautiful. So they're convinced of Jesus' love for Lazarus. So it's making an impact. It's visible. We often want to love invisibly. <laughs> like I love, but from a distance. Or like, uh, you know I love you, man. I don't need to tell you. Like someone said to me, or said at a wedding once, like, I told my wife now I love her. I'll tell you when it changes. <laughs> Ladies, who's in? Like, that's easy, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, no. God wants to show you daily. Amen. Every moment, every day that you're his beloved. He wants to draw you close and love on you. So, behold, look at, see how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? So now they're starting to question, why? Because of love. Because he loves him so much, now they say, oh, but he, he, he made the blind man see. So you can see the power of love there. Like even the people now, the unbelievers are starting to think, but maybe this guy has something. Maybe this Jesus could have stopped this. Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, comes to the grave, and it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Like anyone see the resemblance yet? Third day, grave, stone. It's all there. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. I like the King James there. And sometimes the King James is just like, just there. Why? He's been dead for four days. Jesus said unto her, said I... Not unto thee, that if you would believe, that you would see the glory of God. Now, we must realize that in this time, when this is happening, 2,000 years ago, there's an expectation of the glory, or the manifestation of the glory of God. Now, Moses saw a bit of it. That's when he went onto the mountain, and he came down the mountain, and his face was shining. But Corinthians says that's it. A glory that was fading. So he put a veil over his face to show, to hide from the people how the light was disappearing. 
which means lack, which means insecurity, if you will. But now we have the opposite because now we remove the veil because the light never stops. Amen? And yesterday when that bride was walking down the aisle, it gets me every time. Every time it gets me. Like that's how we were walking. Like veiled. We saw dimly. We saw as men as trees. Didn't that guy that Jesus first partially healed and then healed? Like we saw... And we knew, or I did, I knew about God, I knew about the Bible, I knew the stories of the Bible, I went to church. But when I turned to Christ, and the veil's removed, it's like you were expecting heavy rain, and now you come and it's sunshine, and it's like, wow. You're looking to the Old Testament, you're expecting an angry God, but you just see love. You're looking at someone who can heal the blind, but now you can see He heals for eternity. You see someone who can resurrect the dead, but he wants to give you life eternal. It's just amazing. You behold the fact that you're no longer missing a target or not jumping high enough and performing big enough. No, you are indwelled by the one who now gushes forth the love of God in your heart. So they were expecting a manifestation of glory, and a lot of them actually expected it in the natural. They expected a liberator, a politician. Dictator, maybe? They wouldn't say it, but isn't that how you overthrow governments? They weren't expecting love. They weren't expecting the most powerful force on earth because John says to us, perfect love casts out fear. So were they afraid of the Romans? Very much. That was the whole method of control. That's what the crucifixion was. That's why it was public, to instill fear. We shared on this a few years ago about the power of the cross and how that really is the worst that mankind could come up with. Like, by far. This is the worst thing in eternity. Oh, in, in history, not in eternity. Is the cross. It is just where the, the worst of the worst, the most evil come together and like says, listen, how can we make someone suffer for as long as possible and just like spit on them, make them naked, like whatever. Like the worst that you can get. And that's where Jesus goes. He says, I'll go. David said, even if I make my bed in the pit of hell, God is there. The worst that mankind can come up with is exactly where Jesus goes and lays down. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could be made the righteousness of God. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what is in your past. But I would guess and put money on it that it is not as bad as crucifying someone. And even if it is, the first people that hear the gospel, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he says, you killed him. God raised him from the dead. Who's he preaching to? Murderers. Murderers of the Son of God on the Roman cross. What is his message? Jump higher. You are missing a life-giving, crucial part. Receive. Men of Israel, what you see here is not drunken people as you suppose. But this is what the prophet Joel prophesied of. That you were missing 
a life-giving, crucial part. And that on the day of Pentecost, Christ who went up to heaven has now poured out that what you have been missing. That what you've been longing for, thirsting for. That what you was blind about. That what you've been longing for. That what you need. A life-giving, crucial part. Oh yeah, and by the way, God is holy. Amen? So God cannot live in an unholy place. He told Moses, take off your shoes. You know why? Because shoes is man-made. You, you cannot bring man-made into holiness. Take off your shoes. I made your feet. I, you, you can stand on your feet. God made you holy. You can stand on your feet. So people are looking for glory. That's where we are. And they're expecting glory. And they see then a manifestation of glory. But this is what Jesus said. You would see the glory of God. Colossians 1.27, famous verse says, that Christ in you is what? Okay, now, I want to take this one step further this morning with you. Because when we hear hope of glory, what do we hear? To come. It's not a statement in the sense of let out the glory, which it is true, because Romans 8 says that the earth is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, which doesn't mean the end of time. It means for us to show up, to pour out. What? The life-giving crucial part, because as we pour it out, like the women with the oil, as long as we keep pouring out the Spirit in us, and as long as people are receiving, what happens? There's more Spirit. There's more Spirit. Until no one is there to receive, then the Spirit says, I don't have anywhere to go. So now I stop. You see, so no Old Testament miracle should just be about the natural. So we are pouring out the life-giving crucial part in the hearts of men. But now we have Christ in us. Listen to this. The glory which has now manifested, but which was hoped and expected for, for thousands of years to come. So it's not the fact that the glory in us is the hope for tomorrow, which it is. But it's the fact that the glory in us is that which was the eternal, uh, the, the ancient people have longed for, waited for, hoped for. But now it's manifested. Hebrews 11.1 1 says what? Faith is the substance, which is what? Manifestation. Not promise. Of what was hoped for. What was hoped for? The glory of God. What is faith? Well, we need to read on because Hebrews 12 says Christ is the beginning and the end of faith. I believe there needs everything in between as well. Like he's not gonna like he's not Casper, like that holds two things and then there's nothing in the middle. So if he's the beginning and he's the end, it means he's everything. So faith, Christ is the evidence, the substance, the realness, not the shadow, not the promise, of what you've been hoping for for thousands of years. Since when? Since God spoke to Eve. We can maybe go further back, but then I'll need more time. Because He told Eve that your seed, woman, will crush Satan's head. The substance of what was promised, what was hoped for, now manifested. 
So what you and I carry, believer, is hope for tomorrow, but don't, like, we, we have an essence of lack in the way that I, I'll speak for myself, but I used to understand it. I have it in me. Now I need to change tomorrow. I have a hope of glory. Which is true, but it speaks of it's not all there. You've received the life-giving crucial part. What did Lazarus need when he was in the grave? To stop sinning. To live better. To give more. Come on, this is good. What did Lazarus need? Lazarus, come forth. He needed life. He was missing the life-giving crucial part. He was dead. So now Jesus is expecting and explaining the glory. That's the verse we're looking at from John. By what? Giving Lazarus what he was missing. But he's doing a miracle in the natural to preach the gospel which is eternal. Okay. Are you full of God? Are you full of glory? Do you have the substance? Do you have what you were wanting? What you were hoping for? What you were looking for? Do you have some of it? Ah, well done. (laughs) Come on. John 11, 41. So they rolled away the heavy stone. Jesus gazed into heaven. Didn't look into the grave. Where's your focus? Last week we said when he had, was the week before, when he had the five loaves and the two fish in his hands, he didn't look at what he had in his hands. Because he knew it wasn't enough. He looked away from what wasn't enough. You look into heaven. Thank you. And you say, thank you, Lord, for what I do have. Amen. Not for what I don't have. Thank you, Lord, for hungry people. Who's ever prayed that? <laughs> That's a prayer of faith, isn't it? Jesus gazed into heaven and he said, Father, thank you that you've heard my prayer. When was he praying? All the time. For you listen to every word I speak. Now so that these who stand here will, be, will believe that you have sent me to the earth as your messenger, I will use... The power you have given me. Then, with a loud voice, Jesus shouted with authority, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. Then in front of everyone, Lazarus, who had died four days earlier, slowly hobbled out. He still had grave clothes tightly wrapped around his hands and feet, covering his face. And Jesus said to him, unwrap him and let him loose. Just picture that with me for a moment. I'm not going to act it out, but picture it with me. Right? He does the penguin. Huh? Now the beauty is when we see Jesus' empty tomb, the face cloth is, is already folded up. So Lazarus comes out of the tomb veiled. It's not a complete miracle. It's a proclamation of what is to come. Jesus comes out of the tomb unveiled. Now you turn to Christ and the veil is removed. And you will see things as they really are. The Holy Spirit's job is to show us things the way they really are. Verse 45. From that day forward, many of those who had come to visit Mary believed in Him, for they had seen with their own eyes this amazing miracle. But a few went back to inform the Pharisees. (laughs) Still get that? Still around? 2,000 years later. 
Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we do? For this man does many miracles. Worship him? Celebrate him? Bring the sick? I've got some more ideas, but that's what I would suggest. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. So they're really about fear and self-preservation. Pride. So the title of my message this morning is not Lazarus Come Forth. The title of my message is We Before Me. We Before Me. And this is really what Jesus shows us. He goes and raises someone from the dead so that we can believe. And by doing that, he's actually signing his own death warrant. Because that's exactly what the Pharisees and the high priest decided. Because verse 49 says, And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perishes not. This man didn't know what he was saying. And as the high priest, he actually prophesied. Isn't it better that one man dies so that everyone can live? We all say amen until it's us. Until it's you. That need to lay down your life. I always think like, sure, my parents stayed up many nights to, to raise me, to feed me. Like for me just to die would be such a waste on their behalf, isn't it? Isn't it better if one lay down his life so that everyone gets saved? Higher love has no man than this. Then they lay down his life for a friend. You see, Jesus lived we before me. And then the garden of Gethsemane, he prays a prayer and he says, Father, I don't, know what, I don't want to do this. I don't want to die. But like he's sweating, he's anxious. Like if you ever thought anxiety exists, Jesus had anxiety. If you're struggling with anxiety, Jesus had anxiety. I would too. <laughs> Like if you know the cross is, is waiting. But at the end of that prayer, he says, Father, not my will, but your will. Father, not me, but we. Father, not I, but them. Verse 51 says, Caiaphas said this, not of himself, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied. That Jesus should die for that nation. You see, this is why the Gospel of John is a little different. Because he gives commentary. He doesn't just tell the story. Luke would never put that in. But John gives us the commentary. Verse 53 then. So from that day on, they were committed to killing Jesus. Why? Because he raised Lazarus from the dead. And... And, and they wanted to kill Lazarus again. Why? They want to stop the good news. They want to stop the, stop the people talking about him. The enemy wants to stop you. The enemy wants you dead. It shouldn't be news to you. 
should make you fearful. Because the one who lives forever is living on the inside of you. The good news we have has the power to change people. Because he put himself, or because he lived, he, he put him before us. He before we. Now we can live. We before me. Because he laid down his life for us. Now we can lay down our lives for each other. Philippians 2, Paul writes and he says, Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Interesting, if you look at the context from verse 1, the unity he speaks of there is not the unity that we have with each other. It's the unity that we have with Christ. Because our only chance for unity is not that we agree. Because that will seldom happen if ever. <laughs> the only chance that we have for unity is our unity with Christ. And if we are all one with Christ then by default we become unified with each other. But our focus is to not all agree because, like I said, even in this church I've preached how to deal with our differences because we're allowed to differ. But we shouldn't be without Christ. So if we're full of opinions, we're not living in the fullness of what Christ has done for us. That's what he says there. He says, don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first, and view others as more important than yourselves. We before me. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. No amens. When it's Jesus, it's amen. What a man. This is maturity. This is not thus, saith the Lord. This is, this is how we grow. This is what we're growing to. This is how we live. Our little one-year-old is not there yet. When he wants a bottle, he wants a bottle. Amen? <laughs> it's me before everyone. <laughs> it's me, 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 until I get what me, me, me want. But in growing up, for Natasha and I, it's not about us, it's about all of us. It's about him. <laughs> in that moment, it's really not about if I'm thirsty or if she needs to go somewhere. Like It's about let's help this little guy. Why? Because he's immature. He can't look after himself. He's a human. 100%. So we often have this expectation on born-again believers that they should be mature. They should be grown up. They should be better. Is it better, man? Come on. But a true parent would never expect that. Well, let's not say that. God would never expect that. <laughs> Sometimes you're like, I'm busy with your bottle. Just wait. <laughs> God says, I want to father you. I want to parent you. I want to grow you. I want to love on you. I want to wash you. I want to clean your wounds. I want to nurture your heart. I want to speak to you, to the innermost part of you. And in that, what happens? We grow up. Who of us has ever tried to grow up? Like, 
I know someone who, who, who someone prayed for them and they actually grew a bit. That was a miracle. But don't we grow by default? We live, we move, we have our being, and before we know it, like, oh, who's this guy in the mirror? When we do life with Jesus, we grow and mature by default. We're not forcing it. We're not making it happen. But again, it is as much as you want it, really. (coughs) Because the more you put in, the more you lay down your life, the more you study the Word, the more you drink the milk, the more you pray in the Spirit, the more you have nourishment by which to grow up. And then we become parents in the faith. So I don't know where you are on the spectrum of me before we or we before me. But I'm inviting you to this life with the Father. And I'm showing you that the end of it is going to be other people are more important than I am. Not my will, but your will. So it's really the upside down kingdom. It's the inverse pyramid of success. Because we're not trying to get higher and higher and getting more people under us. No, we're trying to get lower and lower so that we can upheld and uphold and lift up and serve and equip and disciple and father more and more and more and more people. And it gets heavy sometimes. That's why we need to be mature. That's why we need to be equipped. And that's why we can never do it alone. Never. Lone rangers get shot. Family. It's family. It's not perfect. You won't agree with everything. But you will find a place where you are loved, where you're accepted, where you're welcome to come and grow with us come and live with us to come and study the word with us to come and worship Jesus with us to come and pray in the spirit with us to come and do life with us as we imitate Christ let's imitate the ones who do it well let's live this life let's live it different Jesus said where two or three are gathered in my name There I am in the midst of them. He's not saying he's not in the believer. We have the completeness of Christ in us. The word Christ in you. The Greek word for you is plural. The hope of glory that the eternal, or the, saying eternal, eternal comes after, the ancient people have been waiting for, is not just in me, Peter. It is in us. Because guess what? I don't have all the answers. I, I have the wisdom of Christ, but sometimes I'm struggling to get it out. Amen? Therefore, the Word says, if any of you lack wisdom, what must you do? Ask. Now, the Word says, ask God, but where is God? God is in us. So you can pray for wisdom, but you know when I've heard many great answers to questions, wisdom answers. Do not ask shame. 
when I've asked other people who's gone ahead of me, mentors or people who've, who've done things before. But what does it take? It takes humility. Because the moment I ask, I say, actually I say by default, I don't know. Will you help me? And the word says, God gives grace to the humble. Now in that sense, it's not saving grace, because I'm saved whether I operate in wisdom or not. But it's grace in the sense of I can do life easier, I can do life better, I can make better decisions. When I consider what I have around me, in the body of Christ. Because God asks us to be part of the body, the gathering, not so we can spend less time with Him, but in fact, so that we would understand Him better. Because you can have a relationship with your head, but the rest of the body is unknown to you, which means you're missing out. Because he is the head of the body. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. Lone rangers get shot. If one prevails against him, two shall withstand him. Are you feeling like something is getting the most of you? Some challenge, some situation, sickness, fear. It says if you're alone, you're going to struggle. But Ecclesiastes here says to us, we are, we are two or more, two shall withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Sometimes you just need someone to pray with you. Yeah. You are full of God. You've got the hope of glory. But like sometimes you just need Jesus in the flesh. Amen. <laughs> you need a believer to take your hand and pray with you. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We, we I believe... The essence of my message this morning is we're missing out on God because we're missing out on each other. 1 Corinthians 11 says that many are sick because they consider not the Lord's body. If you're sick, this is the Lord's body. The word says we are one bread. So have you partaken of this bread? Have you asked someone to pray for you? Have you considered the fact that the power of God might be in Jock this morning? Or in Luko? Or in John? Or in Ruan? Because it is. But now we walk around suffering because we're not considering the fact that the fullness of God is walking around in the bodies around us. In the family of God. Greg Moore has a book called, his, my, what, I think it's The Healing Door. Great man of faith. Pastor of thousands and he prayed for healing when he was diagnosed with cancer God said I want you to go to these three people man of faith why didn't God just heal him right there because God wanted to heal his heart God wanted to restore relationship and God wanted him to consider the body he got healed but he got so much more he had a relationship restored he had his heart dealt with. He had counseling that he received. And he's walking out in much more than what he walked into. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given to you. Ask of God, but God works through people. 
so we can ask of each other, of our leaders and pastors. Last verse, 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder. It's not talking about age, he's talking about maturity. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. We before me. Be clothed with humility. I love it how it comes together in this verse. Because what does it take for me to say, hey, I need help. Hey man, pray for me. Even the pastor. Sometimes I'll say, hey, like guys, pray for me. Or help. Or what are we going to do in this phase? Or let's go find a venue together. Whatever it might be, it's, it's humility. Be clothed with that. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. You see that humility, grace, submission, it's all in the same verse. You cannot experience the fullness of grace without considering the Lord's body. Without partaking of each other, of what we have here. We say it most weeks. If you're not in a life group, you're not getting the full experience. And back it up with a verse. Because I have limited capacity. I'm humble about it. <laughs> I cannot be superman for all of you. So we have leaders who look after people. And if they don't know what to do, they're taught to be humble and to ask. And we help. And if we don't know, we've got leaders. And we ask and they help. And if Shane doesn't know, we've got leaders and overseers. And we ask and they help. We're considering the Lord's body because we are so much more than me. I really believe this word is, 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 is timeless for us. And when I started the series, I never, in my faintest imagination, or wildest imagination, could dream that this is where it's going to end. But I was battling with these two messages in my heart this week. I wanted to share on Lazarus because that's the seventh miracle and that's where the series ends and I wanted to share on just unity. And when I saw how the two really just like blends, like it's the white and the, and the yoke being scrambled together and really the gospel is us being together. The video we posted on YouTube this week that went out on TV in Kenya means we say like, you and Christ are like scrambled eggs. We don't know which is which anymore. But let it be the same for us. And it's not about the logo, Grace Life. That's not the mark you're missing out on. No, no, no. That's just the vehicle. The mark is Christ. The Spirit. The one who gushes forth the love of God in our hearts. And yes, the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you in the private. But I don't know about you. I sometimes just need a pat on the back. I just need a word from someone. A prayer. A prophecy. Encouragement. A coffee. Whatever that might be. Say, hey, you're not alone. You can find more of our free teachings on our website. www.gracelife.ca and if you're ever in the Stellenbosch area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. 
Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.ca.